Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we will be talking about Joker. In high quality. In high quality, yes. We've had to, yeah, we have been working our asses off to try to get this recording problem solved. Hopefully we've found a solution. Uh, Fingers crossed. Obviously, I'll be listening to this whole episode before it posts so that we don't go through the previous error where I listened to like the first 10 minutes. I'm like, this sounds fine. Why would it fuck up later? And it <laughs> did. So all I'm listening to the, however long this podcast is, we'll probably keep, try to keep it to an hour. Uh, I will listen to the whole thing to make sure that our audio is sound uh, because Joker is a film that exists to be talked about. It's actually, which is funny because we both saw the film at TIFF and we both walked out of it and like that film is nothing. The film is nothing. <laughs> so the first half of the show, we're going to be talking, we'll talk about, we'll be spoiler free. And then in the second half, we'll get into more specifics about the film. And then we'll finish up with recently watched. So Joker is, you know, Excuse the discourse. Me, and, Excuse me. I it, believe you mean the Joker is. The Joker is what we're calling <laughs> the it. The Joker. Because he makes jokes, you know. Does he? <laughs> he makes one, kind of, I guess. Anyway, the thing is about the Joker is like it's all about the discourse. And it feels like it's so emblematic of like 2019 where it's just like you have to have strong opinions on something. But there's no substance to it. Like Joker to me is it is pure content. And it's kind of amazing, like the way everyone got so worked up about it before even seeing it. And then we saw it and the film is just... It, it's kind of, it lacks substance. It, it's it's all style. And I think it's been a really good litmus test, honestly, f- for people that like, can can a viewer tell a difference between style and substance? So if, if a movie carries itself in a certain way, like if it cribs from, you know, the films of Martin Scorsese and, and a friend pointed this out, it's, it's really more Abel Ferreira, but it's cribbing from these things without really understanding them do people be like, well, it must be deep because it is acting very serious when really I can't tell you like, what is Joker about? I, I honestly, I, I saw the film a month ago. Cannot tell you what Joker is about. Like from a thematic standpoint, like I can tell you what happened. Doing crimes. But this film, it makes you want to do crimes, I guess. Yeah. Like what is Joker about? It touches on a bunch of hot button issues, but what is it about? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was okay, and for many of our listeners, this will probably be the first time hearing us talk about this, because our uh, TIFF podcast episode got really messed up uh, audio-wise. I thought it was fine. Like, we walked out of that theater with a lot of people. Like, we went into the theater at TIFF, you know, anticipation abounded. It was right after the Venice Film Festival win. Uh, and we walked out of it and everyone's just kind of like, that was okay. I mean, a couple of people were like, wow, so dangerous. That movie's so dangerous. Um, a couple of people were like, yeah, that movie wasn't very good, but I was just kind of like, okay, like it's fine. It's a movie that if it wasn't called the Joker, I would probably forget about it within a year. Um, beyond i mean it in a weird way it feels like those oscar movies that are like have a really great performance but the movie itself is just kind of okay (laughs) um like the theory of everything uh uh or like the imitation game um or what is it still alice that julian moore won for um yeah 
I mean, really, what we're you know what you're looking at. I think the reason that Joker gets so talked about partially is like I think 2019. Not that it's nothing new, but 2019 has really been the success a, a year of the shallow IP, where it's just like when when people have when when the amount of content options is overwhelming. When you have so many things vying for your attention, you need to watch this show. You need to watch this on Netflix. You need to watch this. You need to watch this. And people are very hesitant to spend money to come out to the theater. Something like Joker or the Lion King is a easy splash. Like, I think you're right. If this was not called Joker, no one would care if it was. And I, and I know that for a fact, because last year, Joaquin Phoenix played a mentally deteriorating guy in Lynn Ramsey's, you were never really here. And no one went to go see it. And it's a far superior film, but it's not called Joker. And I know what Joker is. So I have to see Joker. Same with the sisters brothers. That movie had, right. Had Joaquin Phoenix, John C. Riley and Riz Ahmed and was really like, and Jake, and Jake Gyllenhaal and was really probing and difficult and had kind of like anti-hero characteristics for Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, and people were like, eh. And so like you snap joke and like, to be fair, I really honestly do think Joaquin Phoenix gives a really phenomenal performance in Joker. I think it's, it's very lived in. Uh, it's very terrifying. It's very physically, obviously he transformed himself, but you can feel kind of emotionally. He just feels, uh, you you feel like he's inhabiting this this character. The movie surrounding it, I think the problem is is that like like you said, like thematically, I don't know what this movie is about. The movie is handsomely made. I think the cinematography by Lawrence Shear is really good. Um, I think it, it does a really good job of keeping you inside Arthur's point of view uh, in a in a way that's uh, interesting and you know it's portraying this like 1980 Gotham City grit and grime, but it's not in a super duper obvious way. I don't think. Uh, and the score by uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I'll just say Hilder. Um, her score is one of my favorite scores of the year. I think it's it's just really unbelievably haunting and tremendous uh, uh, and fantastic. And even some of like the choices that Phillips makes as a director, aesthetically, are kind of interesting. I think narratively and thematically, the film just narratively the film drags. I genuinely got bored while watching this movie, a tiff, um, just because it's kind of tedious. Like how many slow push-ins can you have of Joaquin Phoenix alone looking gaunt with his back to the camera? Like just slowly pushing in as the score swells uh, over and over and over again. I I just felt that that just got really tedious and I got kind of bored. Um, And then, you know, we'll get to this in the spoiler portion, but then in the third act, suddenly uh, the narrative kind of kicks into gear, but in kind of strange ways. Yeah, I feel like this... (sighs) To go back to Phoenix's performance, I agree. It's a great performance. That being said, I would say without a doubt that Adam Driver is better in both The Report and Marriage Story. Yeah, I would agree. Like when it comes time to, to talk Oscars, my my money is with currently with, uh, with Adam Driver. Um, but I would also say that, you know, for all... It is, there is good craft in this film, but it doesn't build to anything. It doesn't understand anything. So for instance... This film, even though it's in Gotham, it's it's late seventies, early eighties New York. That's what it is. It's the it's New York of like a really kind of rotting, dangerous New York that is being inspired by Taxi Driver. But when Martin Scorsese made Taxi Driver, he didn't dream up that was New York. That was the yeah. point. He made it in the mid seventies. So that choice 
wasn't aping someone. He did it because it was a comment on the world, on a on a Vietnam, a world that was trying to ras- wrestle with Vietnam, a world that was trying to wrestle with urban decay that is very much present and the way that drives someone mad. Okay, but that's not the world we live in anymore. Crime is down. Um, you know, the urban, you know, actually the the urban problem that we face today is over gentrification. So really, if Todd Phillips wanted to make something, mo- you know, modern, it's like, the Joker gets kicked out of his building because they're going to turn it into a mixed use space. <laughs> and that drives him mad. Like, oh man, a Jamba juice. No. Yeah. I've been, I've been watching the deuce on HBO and this third season takes place uh, in the eighties and it charts like the, the, the gentrification of Times Square. Like ostensibly the show is about the porn industry, but through the lens of how Times Square was gentrified from this kind of like drug and sex den to the commercialized place that we know it as now. And it's, it shows this interesting evolution in contrast. Uh, and I think you make a great point because like the, the Gotham city that Todd Phillips is trafficking again here, isn't really reflective of the issues that are plaguing New York city today. Well, and it's not, and that the thing is, it's not really reflect, reflective of any issues. And that's the thing. And that's to me, I think Todd Phillips really tipped his hands in more, in more way than one, more ways than one. When he talked about why he wanted to make this movie. And he was basically like, you can't make a comedy anymore. <laughs> it's like, no one wants, no one wants your frat boy garbage. You know, like I like old school and the hangover as well. But the fact of the matter is, is you basically said I couldn't adapt. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to be funny in 2019. So it's the world. That's the problem. But anyway, he didn't seem to have a good reason to make the Joker like, or to make Joker. He didn't have a good reason other than, you know, being mad at the system and wanting to get away with something. But what is he getting away with? Because what is this film saying that he couldn't say otherwise? Like there are films, I think that use mainstream blockbuster culture to sneak in really interesting messages. Like Mad Max Fury Road is a really interesting piece about feminism and male control. And what does that look like? What is, what, what does that conflict look like and telling it, but within the bounds of a post-apocalyptic story. So you can tell those stories within, you know, you can sneak them into blockbuster culture. You can do it in, you know, we've seen it with, uh, superhero films with Black Panther and with Logan. Like you can get to these deeper issues and Todd Phillips doesn't have anything. He's like mental health. Okay, Todd, what about mental health? Do you want to say? I don't know. (laughs) The people should support it. Okay. So is your, your movie is basically like if we had a good mental health system, we wouldn't have a Joker. Awesome. Like that, I, I don't like, and that's the thing. And so it's like, okay, mental health. It's like, but I also have something to say about income inequality. Okay, Todd, what do you want to say? <laughs> well, people are mad at, at the 1% and Thomas Wayne is like a Trump figure be, because he doesn't like poor people. Okay, Todd, that that's neat. <laughs> what? What is your film building to? Like, these are just random observations and you're just sprinkling them in like I too read the news and bully for you. But what is your film? What are you adding to the conversation? And he doesn't add anything. He just wants to sort of take these hot button issues and sort of coast on them. But his film doesn't actually add anything. It doesn't explore them. It doesn't critique them. It just is there for the illusion of maturity and depth. Well, and that's the thing. I think uh, 
as I said, I think in our TIFF podcast, it feels like he got the movie about 65% there, but I just don't think he's a good enough filmmaker to really cohesively pull it all together because you do have this uh, thing where it's essentially like, well, the broken mental health system created the Joker. Um, but it doesn't really dig into that in any interesting, compelling or compelling ways that hit upon any kind of thematic points. Um, you know, I'm reminded and it doesn't, it has absolutely nothing to do with the company that made it, but I reminded of Black Panther, which does have a lot to say about race and what it's like to be black in America, uh, what it's like to be African-American versus African. Uh, and Ryan Coogler, you know, put a lot of work into hitting upon those points in ways that felt thematically complete. Um, you know, Killmonger, who would rather die at the end, uh, you know, pushed into the ocean like the slaves who were brought to America. Like, it's, it's very purposeful in the way that it is reminding you of the history of African Americans and the history of Africans and, and America's history with slavery. I think that Todd Phillips could have done or, or someone could have done something interesting with uh, the Joker and mental health, uh, but it just doesn't really – It I, bottom line is I just don't think he's a good enough or talented enough filmmaker to, to do it. And I, I'm reminded – I mean this movie is incredibly reminiscent of Taxi Driver. And it makes me, it's almost like if a much less talented director directed Paul Schrader's script for Taxi Driver uh, and then like co-wrote it or rewrote it in a way that, I mean, Taxi Driver is, uh, you know, it's a violent, upsetting film, but it never mistakes its hero, its anti-hero for a hero. You're never really mistaken as an audience member uh, in terms of like uh, the empathy you should feel for Travis Bickle. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Taxi Driver, I, I, someone, I, 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 a friend of mine sort of, he's like, how is Joker different from Taxi Driver? And I'm like, do you really not? It's very obviously different because Taxi Driver is really sort of a scathing critique on a culture that's so violent. And again, in 74, it's commenting on what is happening in the world at its yeah. time. It's saying the world has become so violent and twisted that a character like Travis Bickle cannot be seen as could just as easily be viewed as a hero, as a villain based on because his, his, his psycho, his, his psychopathy does not di- differentiate from good from bad. And that, and so he doesn't, he literally does not understand it. Whereas the Joker does have a, a Arthur Fleck has a moral compass that he chooses to just discard. Yeah. That's, that's the difference. Travis Bickle takes a woman on a date to a porn theater because he doesn't get it. Like he literally (laughs) doesn't understand that that's a bad thing to do. And then at the climax of the film, sorry, spoilers for taxi driver. It's 40 years old, over 40 (laughs) years old. Uh, He, at at the climax, he's like, I might assassinate someone. And then it's like, Oh, this got a wrench thrown into my plan. I'll kill a pimp instead. (laughs) And he's become, so like he becomes a hero, but he doesn't differentiate between the two. Whereas Joker is basically I didn't get what I wanted. People weren't nice to me. I'm gonna do some crimes. <laughs> and like that to me is that's not interesting. That's just a whiny guy who doesn't get what he wants. And so that doesn't say anything. He's just a kind of a pathetic creature. And then the film builds a world around him where it's like, but what if he's the hero of, you know, you know, these sort of economic inequality tensions that will elevate him. And I'm like, but that doesn't happen. 
Like that doesn't that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that like, you know, you can say in you know there, there's just been no point where some like some guy murdered a rich guy and now like I'm happy. <laughs> like we're all going to follow him. Like if someone someone killed Martin Screlly and you shouldn't, don't do it. He's in jail. He's he sucks, but don't don't be violent towards him. But if someone did, we wouldn't be all like Let's all dress in masks of this guy. <laughs> like that wouldn't it wouldn't happen. Like you're misinterpreting a populist moment and what that is. Like you just again, you just sort of like, uh, income inequality. That's a hot button issue. Look, people are are angry. What if what if they became angry and this guy became their symbol? And I'm like, I guess that could happen, but it hasn't. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not, this is not happening in the real world because Todd Phillips has just created this sort of mishmash of different ideas. Didn't really care how they blended together. But he just wanted the tone. He wants the issue, but he doesn't know how to engage with it. So you just get this very empty movie that inflames people on the surface. But any, like a lot of people who have seen it just kind of, I've seen a lot of just shrugs. Yeah. Like they're like, "Oh, that's it. That's uh, that's what everyone's talking about." And I'm very curious to see how it does in its second weekend. If people are like, "Oh, now that the the terror has died down, I'll go give it a shot." Or people are like, "I have no interest in ever revisiting this movie because it's not very good." Yeah, and it just kind of meanders in the muck with Arthur. And it very much in contrast to Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver uh you never you are compelled by Travis Bickle, but you never really feel empathy for Travis Bickle because he's such a fucking weirdo. Um, well, he's a weirdo and he's a hateful guy yeah. from the beginning. From the beginning, he hates. Like he's not a tragic figure. He hates every. He's like someone's got to clean up the muck of these streets. Like he just has a lot of hatred for the world, but that hatred makes him see himself as the hero of this story. And that's an interesting story. And I feel like Todd Phillips kind of mistakes. And I, I do find it interesting that when this project was first announced, it was like Scorsese might be an executive producer, and now his name is nowhere near it. Um, he's an executive producer on Uncut Gems, which is a far better movie. Um, but I think he must like, I don't know, it feels a little cowardly in that it feels like he tried to, um, gosh, I don't know, like soften the character of Arthur Fleck, like make him more compassionate and more empathetic, which then results in those conflicting feelings whenever he does what he does uh when he becomes the joker but it doesn't all track like it doesn't really make a ton of sense like you said like he just he knows the difference between right and wrong and he chooses to do wrong that's not super compelling right and it doesn't make him particularly tragic like there's nothing it's not like like arthur would have been a good guy except for this and it's just it's it's a it's just kind of an exploitative film. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of, it wants the issue and it takes it and then it's, it's kind of done with it. And it, it just makes it, I, I said this in my review, it's a very cynical film. It's a cynical film from both the perspective of the audience and from Warner brothers. Cause Warner brothers doesn't want to pay $55 million for a film that for a drama for like a, like a gritty drama that is unpleasant. They would not pay that kind of money. They wouldn't pay the, what, 2.5 million that, <laughs> you know, you were never really here costs. Yeah. They don't want to pay. They don't, Warner Brothers does not want to make a movie that is, is dangerous. They want a movie that appears to be dangerous. And so they're like, well, let's use our Batman IP 
because people love Batman and we're going to give it to Todd Phillips who will make the illusion of a dangerous film. But Todd Phillips is not subverting Batman. He's not subverting studio. Like this is a, and then the, the audience for their part basically be like, I'm seeing a dangerous movie, but you're not, you're seeing Joker, which is a Batman character, Batman, one of the most popular, famous, you know, American characters of all time. That's what you're going in for. And again, that's not to say that a blockbuster cannot have a serious message. The Dark Knight is a movie about terrorism. Like, that's a really smart, captivating film that holds up over 10 years later and I think will hold up for many more. It's not that you can't have that. It's just that Warner Brothers, the audience, and Todd Phillips, they're all like, we all want the appearance of being serious, but no one wants to actually go to somewhere that is dangerous and thoughtful and will challenge us. We just want the illusion of being serious. And that's what the, and that's what Joker is. It's the, it's, that's the joke. If there is one. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's a fairly predictable movie for as risky and ambitious and as, um, you know, dark and gritty and violent as it is, it pretty much goes where you think it's going to go and goes that way. It goes in a way that you expect it to go, which I guess is a good time as any to talk about spoilers now. Yeah, let's 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 head into spoilers. Um, so if you haven't seen it, stop listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say you know spoilers in terms of spoilers. Like it's it, again, it goes exactly like you know that Joker is going to kill Murray Franklin. Like obviously he's going to do. And that. you know Zazie Beetz's character isn't really there from like this. Yeah, because she doesn't interact with anyone. Yeah, as soon as you see her like at that table at the the stand up comedy thing, you're like, why would she be there? And why is she not interacting with any? Oh, I get it. And then it's like, uh, because Todd Phillips has seen Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, David Ehrlich published a really great piece today on IndieWire about how uh, Fight Club is the movie Joker wishes it was, uh, which I mm-hmm. uh, highly recommend reading and checking out. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, so Joker's origin story here in this movie is tied directly into Bruce Wayne and. Brett Cullen, the actor who plays Thomas Wayne, gave an interview where he said he asked Todd Phillips, you know, so are we playing this the way I think we're playing this after he read the script? When it turns out that um, he discovers that Arthur Fleck is the illegitimate child of Thomas Wayne. Uh, And Todd Phillips said he wanted to find what is a reason that the Joker would hate Batman more than anything. And this was kind of his conclusion. This is what he came to. Um, and I wanted to ask you, as someone who knows more about the comics and stuff like that, how do you feel about this as like a Joker story, as an origin story? For- oh, it's oh, as a Joker story, it's really bad <laughs> because as a Joker story, it's it's fucking shit. Like that's that. Like if you told me that Todd Phillips never read a comic book, I'd believe you. And I don't care about like I don't think. And honestly, I'm not. So, I'm not one of those people that like you have to be a fan of comics to make a good comic book movie. You don't. Christopher Nolan clearly doesn't read comics, and The Dark Knight is great. Uh, the guy who made Daredevil was an avowed comics fan and that movie is shit. So like, you know, this notion that you have to love comics, that's, that's beside the point. I don't really care about that. I will say if we are going to bring comics into it, uh, Todd Phillips doesn't understand Joker. Like he just doesn't because part of the Joker's power is that he is basically the adversary. He is the opposite of Batman. Um, and the more you explain his origin, the less interesting he becomes, the more normal he becomes. The thing about Batman is that he has a very clear origin story. 
he has a very clear oath. His oath is that he never wants anyone to suffer what he did, went through as a child. And his goal is to bring order to the world. And that makes the Joker his opposite, which is you don't know his origin and he only wants to bring chaos. And that's, you know, to me, Joker doesn't, and that's part of what makes Joker such a terrifying villain is that he can't be reasoned with. He can't, you know, he doesn't have a have a driving factor other than chaos and wanting to make the world and, and to make the world unpredictable and unfair as he can. Like that's that is his guiding force. So this notion like he like Batman was my brother who got all the love that I didn't like. <laughs> Boo fucking who? Grow up, man. <laughs> like who, Joker. MacGoperclutter.com. I mean, I'm sorry, but like honestly, first off, that's just it's just a, it's just weak storytelling. I'm sorry, <laughs> it is. Because and also, it's not particularly original storytelling. Can you name what other movie from the past 5 years has this exact same fucking plot? That exact same conflict? Uh it's not coming to me immediately, but it seems familiar. It's it's Spectre. Oh, that's right. I forgot that Blofeld is his brother. <laughs> it's, they're fucking brothers. Oh, oh look, so it's bad. dramatic. That was really exactly like the thing is that this notion, this, this is like it, it, you can, I can see the studio executives having a meeting with the writer being like, it would be better if there was some kind of relationship between the two that audiences could latch onto, because it's not enough to just say he's the bad guy (laughs) and he wants different things than the good guy. They have to be connected through blood, which is just so fucking stupid. And it's stupid here. It doesn't matter. Like the thing I wrote an article and you can see it on the site that I actually think the movie edges up against something interesting by critiquing Batman, but for Phillips to just be like, well, I need their Joker to have a reason to not like Batman. Like then like, then you don't understand the point of Joker or Batman. And again, that makes a lot of sense. Cause if your, your reason for making this movie is to own the libs and to not make, you know, because you can't make fucking hangover four, then making the Joker to own the libs. <laughs> It kind of is like, I'm like, ah, look how transgressive I'm being, but you're not, you're just, it's, it's just a thing. It's just this sort of pathetic cry of, I can't make the movies I want to make anymore because no one wants to see them. Um, and so I'm going to make something angry and gritty. Cause I think that's what people will want. And again, like we're not saying you can't have serious comic book movies. You can, I would say maybe it's a good idea if you actually care about the story that you're telling. I don't think James Mangold is like a diehard comic book fan, but he saw something in the Logan storyline saying, hey, what can I do here in this world to tell an interesting story about this character? And he, you can tell that he genuinely cares. And it's not that he's like a diehard comic fan or is like bringing a lot of comic mythos, but he found a good way to tell that story. And that's why Logan is a really good film because it's really like it has a good story and it's well-directed. And Todd Phillips never had that story because I think his reason for, he didn't, he never had it. He wanted the art, he wanted the tone. He wanted the sort of, well, if we're only going to make comic book movies, I'm going to make an angry, gritty comic book movie. Ah, I gotcha. And but there's no story there. And I think, 
again, everything in Joker shows you there's no real story there. There's no, there's nothing interesting about the character, his take on the mythos, the themes. There's nothing there. It's just this sort of, well, we couldn't make a Martin Scorsese film today unless we made it Joker. And that's all I've Well, got. and he already tried with He's, War Dogs and it didn't, like War Dogs is a shameless Scorsese ripoff in terms of style. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but at least War Dogs is fun, I guess. Kind of. Like, War Dogs, yeah, I guess a little I, bit. I, I, forget, I kind of forget about it, but at least War Dogs doesn't, War Dogs does not have the pretension of Joker. Yeah. And so it kind of, it works. Well, and I remember, I remember seeing The Dark Knight for the first time at a midnight showing uh, in 2008. And the first time that Heath Ledger's Joker says, do you want to know how I got these scars? And he starts telling the story. And something in me kind of deflated. Like, I really liked the movie, but I got a little disappointed. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of a bummer origin story. I didn't really, huh. I, I don't feel super happy right now. Uh, and then when he did it again with a different answer, I got really excited. And I think the point being that not knowing makes the characters so much more compelling. And so just mm-hmm. as a thesis statement, the this Joker film, you're already working from way behind because that character is so much more interesting when you do not know why he's doing what he's doing. And like more to the point, he doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing. He's an agent of chaos. Uh, you know, him lighting that giant uh, pyramid of money on fire in the Dark Knight is terrifying because he does not care about anything. He cares about chaos and that's it. And uh, kind of wreaking havoc. And that makes him a really... Um, unsettling and formidable villain um and then like you said to make him uh batman's brother boo fucking who uh it just i don't know i was just like oh is that it and then i just couldn't get past like and i know it's a nitpicky thing but like walking phoenix is 44 years old how old is bruce when we see him in this movie like 10 so when he finally be so you'd be fighting like a 64 year old man yeah (laughs) like he's gonna be fighting an old man joker and Although now Todd Phillips is saying, like, well, maybe this Joker is the inspiration for another Joker. Oh, and I'm like, great. I don't fucking care. It's bad. It's just like you don't have it, Todd. You don't have it. Well, and so I also didn't – I don't think it's incredibly clear why or how he becomes the Joker. So the Arthur Fleck, char- Arthur Fleck character is at least, like, kind of a little sort of maybe a bit compelling – um, because of Joaquin Phoenix's performance. And I did find it interesting that after he kills those three guys on the subway, he doesn't like just start decide to go doing crimes. He enjoys the attention he's getting, but it, it's not like a switch flip flips on and he's like, Ooh, I love killing. Let me go kill. Um, and so that, you know, I guess the inciting event isn't him finding out he's adopted and or Bruce Wayne's brother uh, is what, cause that well it can't be in an exciting event because it comes like two-thirds into the well not like the thing that spurs him to become quote-unquote the joker so i guess the next person he yeah. kills is his mother and then it that sets him on the path but even then he dresses up as the joker but he plans on killing himself on tv he doesn't even plan on killing um murray, whatever murray. his name is murray franklin yeah murray franklin and only makes that decision on stage um i don't i just don't think that was telegraphed well as to like okay, what is causing him to now become this iconic villain character? Uh, and then he, you know, he goes yeah. on the streets and he's lifted up and heralded and he's smiling. Again, there's just, there's too much information there and yet oddly not enough yeah. <laughs> because the film is just this odd mishmash. And again, like I said, it's exploitative. So he learns that he was abused as a child, but this movie doesn't have anything to say about cycles of abuse and how that transforms us. It's just like, ah, uh, his mother, he was abused, but he forgot about it. But now he remembers, and his mother is insane. So he's going to 
kill his mother. <laughs> again it's just like these things happen but they don't build to anything they don't construct a believable character it's just like oh things like i'm not gonna get what i want and people are mean to me and the people i trusted betrayed me so now i'm gonna be a batman villain like there's really like again if you want to compare mythos like batman becomes batman because he is scared of bats like a bat scared him when he was a kid and he wanted to be something scary to villain like that's the idea and the other movies kind of ref- like i think batman begins does a really good job of refining that but it makes like the reason he dresses as a bat was explained very early on in the comics joker by virtue of not having a backstory doesn't really have that explanation so this movie has to be like well he was a was a clown for hire <laughs> Sure. And that's why he has the face paint and he can dye his hair green without actually needing to bleach it first. But, you know, it's it's just these sort of like he's like, honestly, if a clown had fallen through his window, it would make just as much sense for why he becomes the Joker. Yeah. Well, and he shows compassion, too, in that scene where he kills uh, the Glenn Fleshler character, but he he lets the other guy live because he was nice to him. Which again, it doesn't makes the character less terrifying. It makes it less like, terrifying. Is... It doesn't make sense. Like if he's on this ramp, like it, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. None of this... You were nice to me. So I'm going to let you go. And I'm like, well, great. You have a code. Yeah. I guess. He has a code kind of, but then he decides to kill Murray on air and, you know, escape and he's happy because, but Murray was mean to him. Like, I, again, this notion of like, the more because it, it just makes the Joker more predictable and less interesting at every turn. And again, that's why, again, another reason this movie is just very uninteresting. It doesn't leave you with anything. It doesn't jolt you. It does, it's not, there's nothing dangerous about it. There's nothing unpredictable about it. It is, it is pretty, a pretty standard origin story um, for a character that shouldn't have one. It, it doesn't work. That may or may not have actually happened. Or, yeah, at the last moment, it's like, and maybe it didn't happen at all. I don't know. Nothing. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's just telling the story. In, and I saw what... Maybe he's telling the story, but also he has knowledge of how Batman's parents died. Yeah. I saw this... And which he couldn't have otherwise. I think it was on the Real Blend podcast that Joaquin Phoenix said, like, even he doesn't know what's real and what's not when making this movie. Zazie Beetz said that, like, things were very fluid while they were shooting... Um, which isn't indicative of a bad movie. Plenty of movies, uh, you know, make it up as they go along and turn out amazing. That was Iron Man. Um, but like, that's kind of reflected in the final product where it's kind of like, I'm just asking questions. Like I, I use this as an example. So my fiance asked me how Joker ends cause she never ever wants to see it. Uh, and I told her and she said, that's fucking stupid. Um, but I was exp- like talking about ambiguity. And so the end of inception the top is spinning and you don't know if it falls or not, which means you don't know if it's in reality or not. That's an ambiguous ending, but it's ambiguous with a point. The point of that is it doesn't matter. The point is that Cobb is walking away from that, that top. He doesn't care if he's in reality or not. He's finally reunited with his kids. That is, that is an ending that hits you on an emotional level. That's an ending that like completes the thematic arc of the film. And so it's ambiguous as to whether it's in reality or not. But the, the, the point of it is it doesn't, he, the main character, doesn't care. The ambiguity of this ending doesn't have a point. It's just that whole, like... No, and that's why it's not really ambiguous. It's ambivalent. Yeah. It's like, well, it could be this, but it could also be that. Who could, who it reminds could. me of Cartman on uh, South Park when he's Glenn Beck. He's like, I'm just asking questions. 
He's just just right. asking questions, guys. What if, you know, what if, what if not? What if he is the Bruce Wayne's brother, but what if he's not? What if all of this Well, and he actually, took that and, that, you know, they're taking that from the, the 9-11 truther documentary, Loose Change. We're just asking questions. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but you don't have the courage of your convictions. Just fucking say what you want to say. And that's the thing. Joker doesn't have anything to say. And so it's like, well, maybe it's, maybe he's re- maybe it's all in his head and maybe it's not. I'm like, okay, but if that's your ending, then you've really just split your film because it can't be both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in the case of Inception, it can be both. Like it makes sense either way. But again, it doesn't matter because Cobb doesn't care. Right. The larger point yeah. is what, you know, again, and so, and that's also like this Joker, like what is the Joker's character arc? He, he's a sad man who realizes destiny to, to be a guy who dresses up in clown makeup and does crimes. <laughs> Just doing crimes. And the, the chaotic violence that his act incites kills Thomas Wayne. Yeah. Unintentionally. But again, the film doesn't like again for the film also for that to work. The Joker has to be some sort of inspirational figure, and he's just not. And it's yeah, like it's just there's no basis in reality for it. It's just this weird hodgepodge of things that that were worked in better films. And Todd Phillips doesn't understand why they worked, but he wants them for his movie. Yeah, yeah. So it's fine. Like again, I didn't hate this movie. I'm starting to dislike it because of the discourse. I, I've seen worse films this year, no doubt, yeah. but I, Joker is, I think the infuriating thing about Joker is how much we're talking about it when there's not much substance to it. Like I, there are films that I don't like, but I can understand why we talk about them. Like I understand like, oh, there's something there that's getting people involved and really, you know, it's thoughtful. Like I don't like Midsummer. But I understand why people engage with it. And I think that I don't think it's an I don't think it's like a brainless film. I do think it's an obvious film. <laughs> I think everything Ari Aster does is fucking obvious. But at least it's there. You don't appreciate the uh, bear jo- in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> well, the bear in a cage. What's that? The bear in a cage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I at least but Joker, there's just no substance there, and it bums me out because I feel like, especially as we head into the final stretch of the year. Like what films are not going to get the attention that Joker gets because they're not based on Batman IP. And there's like, like Joker made $93 million in its opening weekend, a far better film than Joker that far fewer people will see that has far more to say and is better made in every single fucking way is parasite. And not a fraction of people who saw Joker are going to go see Parasite. And that's a shame because Parasite is the far superior film. Even if you dislike Parasite, you can't argue. Like, Parasite has some very clear things on its mind. And it's masterfully crafted. And wonderfully compelling. It's not this, like, artsy-fartsy, like... Yeah, it's really fun to watch. It's a great film. But because it's not based off the Batman IP, people are like, well, I don't know if I want to see a movie with subtitles that doesn't connect to Batman. So they won't see it. And it's just like, I feel like that to me is the shortcoming on the audience's part. And again, I understand that money is tight and you don't want to take risks on things that you're not familiar with, but you should see Parasite. And it's like, I mean, if you're going to spend money to see Joker, you should at least say, take, you know, take a chance on Parasite. I will say ultimately though, and I wrote an editorial about this, that'll be on the website on Wednesday. I do feel like Joker is uh, a positive step for Warner brothers, not in terms of like the film itself, but in terms of 
they allowed this filmmaker to take this incredibly iconic character who already had an on-screen iteration uh, in Jared Leto. <laughs> it's just so funny how they screwed Jared Leto. Uh, and let him do basically whatever he wanted with it. Like, this movie is R-rated. This movie stars Walking Phoenix. This movie was made for a fraction of the price. No, I don't think it's as good as a lot of other films, but... I like the idea that it could allow someone like Lim Ramsey to come in and say, hey, I've got a really weird take on Batwoman. Uh, or, you know, someone like Denzel Washington to come in and play some comics character and a really interesting take on that without the constraints of having to fit into a franchise or connect to other movies in any significant way. Um, and really just kind of like have fun with it, just kind of do these one off films. I think that Warner Brothers faltered, obviously, in trying to fast forward to their own Avengers uh, in chasing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that this kind of – this standalone nature of Joker, I think, is is the future of DC. I think is what they should be focusing on. Yeah. I mean the comics have done this. The DC Universe has Elseworlds. Yeah. Uh, Marvel has What If. Um, I think that's a great – I think – the idea of Joker, the idea of this one-off is, I agree, it's it's the right path, but they need better storytellers for it because uh, Todd Phillips ain't it. Yeah. Um, okay, anything else to say on Joker or do we want to move on to Recently Watched? Uh, yeah, we can move on. <laughs> it's fine. I'm sure we'll talk about it. It's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll come up again, but I'm already exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what have you got for us? Uh, so I recently watched a Scorsese film that I had never seen before, uh, one that I had been meaning to watch for a long time, uh, and it is 1991's Cape Fear. Uh, famously, I knew that this movie was originally to be directed by Steven Spielberg, Chandler's List, and they essentially just swapped movies. Um, Chandler's List, of course, came out in 93. So uh, I think 93, right? Or 94? 93. Yeah. Uh, list was 93. And they swap movies. Uh, and Cape Fear itself is based on an existing film uh, from 1962 starring Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. Um, and it revolves around this lawyer who uh, gets uh, starts being stalked by this man who has been in prison for 14 years, who was previously represented by the lawyer uh, in a rape case. And the lawyer hid some information about that case, which resulted in him staying in prison for longer. Um and Nick Nolte plays the lawyer. Robert De Niro, uh, in like full-on method acting, uh, plays the uh, deranged uh, felon. Uh, De Niro dropped a ton of weight, put on a really thick Southern accent for the role. Um, Jessica Lange plays the wife, and Juliette Lewis plays the daughter. And it's an interesting movie, but I couldn't help but feel the entire time that there was something like Scorsese's swing was off a little bit. Um, it is very much Scorsese doing Hitchcock to the point that the um, the score is a Bernard Herrmann score conducted by Elmer Bernstein, and uh, the opening titles are done by Saul Bass, and like it looks interesting and it's kind of fun to see Scorsese playing with kind of a Hitchcockian thriller aesthetic uh, and the way of making the movie. It is very um, uh, what's the word like anxiously edited uh, by Thomas Schoonmaker. Uh, it, it does not slow down and give you time to kind of catch up with these characters and get to know them or anything. It it moves at a pretty quick pace, but there are a couple of very long scenes that really hold your attention. Um, I, I feel like Nick Tolte was kind of miscast. Like, I think he's fine. I know at one point they approached Harrison Ford, but Ford wanted to play the De Niro role, uh, so he ended up not doing it. Um, 
I thought Jessica Lange uh, was really impressive in it. De Niro is it like almost becoming a parody of himself in this movie. Like he's pretty good, and he earned a Best Actor Oscar nomination. But like it's a very very loud, uh, colorful performance. Um, so I don't know. I'm glad I saw it because I want to have seen all of Scorsese's films. But uh, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah, I haven't seen it in forever. Um, yeah, I don't really. Re- the thing I think when it, when you when I when I come up with with uh, yeah, Cape Fear, yeah. I just think of the Simpsons parody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Lake. fine, but it just feels or Cape Fear. It feels like, and we'll talk about this when we do our big Scorsese podcast uh, coming up. Uh, surprise, surprise! And uh, but it feels like one of those films where it's like, uh, like it feels like Scorsese was kind of wasting his talent with this one. Yeah, it it's a weird one. It's I feel like it's a kind of film like Scorsese loved the original, so he kind of wanted to make his own. Well, and it's like it, it really feels like Scorsese, together. the film historian, is like, what if I made a straightforward like horror thriller? That, that mm-hmm. essentially what it is. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. Um, for me, what I watched recently was Hellraiser because it's one of those. I, 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 it's, it's a long running horror franchise. I, I didn't want to watch all of them, but I'm like, I've never seen any of the Hellraisers. I know there's Pinhead, whatever, but I don't really know what it's about. I'll give Hellraiser a shot because it's on Hulu. You can watch it. If you have Hulu, you can just watch it. So I watched it and it's, it's pretty fucking bad. Um, like Clive, if you told me that Clive Barker was a, was a 12 year old boy when he made Hellraiser, I'd believe you. Um, the plot of the film is this woman and her husband, uh, they move into this house, um, but it's it's the house that belonged to his brother, and the wife was having an affair with that brother. Uh, also, the brother has been traveling, and he found a puzzle box that is a gateway to hell, and he was tortured apart by demons called Cenobites, and uh, he is resurrected. Um, when her, the husband cuts his hand and he comes into the room where the brother was killed by Cenobites and dragged to hell, but his blood reawakens the brother and he kind of starts coming back together, but he needs more bodies to like become whole again. Like he gets like different layers. Of, like, it's, okay. So yeah. you've seen the mummy yeah, with Brendan yeah, yeah. Fraser, right? Yeah. All right. So you know, oh, when the mummy, like he starts killing those guys to get more of his body back. Fraser does it in a way grosser, ickier fashion. But he basically, he gets the wife, who's his ex-lover, to like, I need you to lure men here to so I can get my body back. And meanwhile, the, the daughter, the who's like the stepdaughter of the woman, um, she like comes across the puzzle box. There really isn't a story or characters in Hellraiser. It's basically a bunch of scary imagery looking for a plot. Kind of like steampunk, which is like, I have a bunch of design ideas. I'm like, that's neat. Does it have a story? No, it's just design. And that's all Hellraiser is. It's just design. And to be fair, the VFX, not VFX, the special effects people earned their pay. For a film that was done pretty cheap and they put all their money into the gore budget, those guys earned their money. Those, Those people did a great job. Uh, there is no story. There is no, there is no characters. It's just a bunch of gross shit that becomes very boring over the course of 90 minutes. Um, and you just kind of sit there and be like, wow, they made 10 of these. 
they've made 10 Hellraiser movies. Um, and I, the other ones try to add more plot about like who the Cenobites are and who Penhead is, and, but it's just, it's like, it's kind of a chore. Like I'm, I'm glad I've seen it now, like to, to cross it off the list, but I wouldn't say like Hellraiser is some secret classic that, you know, they keep making because they're so good. No, it's just, they're, it, it's kind of a gross movie with gross imagery. I think if I had seen Hellraiser when I was 10, it would have scared the shit out of me because I wouldn't know what I was seeing. But as an adult, I'm like, this is nothing. (laughs) This is nothing. So I would say, uh, if you have a parent and a small child, show them how it works. Because it'll work. I feel like the closest thing I know to, like, so like, who's a better pinhead, the pinhead in Hellraiser or the pinhead in Cabin in the Woods? With the, like, saw stuff coming out Um, of his face. (laughs) I guess the pinhead from... That's Hellraiser, all I, I I know nothing kinda, about Hellraiser. What you just told me is the most I've learned about Hellraiser ever. Like I knew it was a movie that existed back in the yeah, old now, days when things like Blockbuster existed. I would uh, wander down the horror aisle, but like I would get scared by certain boxes. The Leprechaun box scared me, so I would never watch Leprechaun, and the Hellraiser box scared me, so I would never watch Hellraiser. Never ever. Yeah. So I've now seen Hellraiser. Um, not much going on there. I have no desire to to watch the other <laughs> nine, nine Hellraisers. There I'm are sure Haley and Perry are going to listen to this and be like, these fucking there... guys don't even know about Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's fair. Yeah, if you listen, hop over to the Witching yeah, Hour podcast and they can just dunk on us. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's what was my recently watched. We don't have any new uh, reader hot takes for you, but if you have, if you like the show, hop on iTunes, leave us a review and your hottest movie or television related take. Indeed. And we will Give us more hot takes. It. I'm sure you have some on Joker. Come on. Indeed, please. Oh, yeah, for sure. We got to get, you know, just send them our way through our iTunes review page and we will read them. Uh, okay. Uh, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. At Adam, Adam where can we find you on Twitter? And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.